Rosa reached out and switched off the last light. Then she said, I hope we both sleep safe. It was what she said many nights at this point. It meant what it said. But also, and often without her knowing, it also meant sleep, please, nothing else. Wesley gave his usual answer. Anything you say, lady. Good night. They both always entered sleep on their backs. So they lay flat now and waited for their eyes to adjust to the dark. Dim slats of streetlight on the ceiling and a glow on their skin like the shine of phosphorus on underwater life. Neither one of them was thinking. They'd each worked a normal full day, had a light supper, watched two hours of dumb television, and expected the same tomorrow. Now they were each exhausted and empty, normally tired, no panic or sudden waves of despair. You, though, if you'd been transparent there, would have seen an apparently young married couple. Both of them looked young because they'd mostly avoided fat and because the dark conceals small furrows. They looked married because of the ease in one another's nearness, the benign neglect which permits two bodies so warm and fine to resist quick union. In fact, Rosa and Wesley Beavers had been married 28 years that month, a wedding forced on them by pregnancy after years of old-time country courtship. Beyond a hurried wedding, the outcome of that accident was Horatio, their grown son who lived half the state away, an only child, kind to his parents but mostly helpless in emergency. And their visible ease with one another's bodies was also misleading, a dangerous illusion shared by Rosa. She thought they were aging but content. She was 48. So nothing now stood between her and sleep, and in 15 seconds she'd said her short prayer and was walking through the first light dream of the evening. In the dream, she was standing in a big room of people. None of them wore her family's faces or even her friends, but she knew them all and knew they wanted her. Somebody in the farthest back circle raised a hand, as if she was the teacher, and said, Please, Rosa, recite us a poem. And she did. In real life, when she was 14 to 20, she wrote a lot of poems. They were long gone now, since she burned her diaries and scrapbooks the first time Wesley vanished from home. But in tonight's dream, one of the best poems suddenly swam up in her mind, and she said it straight through. I ought to try to say what you gave me. Didn't we know that darkest brightness that can be? Even in the dream, she knew when the poem was written and for whom. Wesley, when he'd finished high school. He'd signed up for three years in the Navy and gone straight off during the Korean War where actual local boys were dying. It had been Rose's way to say what she hoped they'd accomplished, and by then they hadn't ever touched completely. She meant just the hope. So the dream was happy, and it led her on into deeper sleep and the chance of more stories as good as that. Wesley, though, at 50, was in real pain. It had been part of him all his adult life, 
a way of walking into a day with a sense of happy blessing, only to come up at 4 p.m. with his nose flat against a blank wall of defeat. Nowhere to go, no way back, no other human to turn to for help, nothing more awful than now, except the risk of death. When those ambushes happened, he could never say why. So he blamed nobody but himself. Tonight, lying here at the end of a decent workday toward the end of the year, it was the third week in December, Wesley had laid down thinking he might join his wife for the slow, close fun that would lead to long sleep. But now he is faced with Rose's polite refusal, or at least her hope of separate rest.